I'm totally pro-life. Like you like living? Yes. Or, okay. Let's just clarify that. Previously on Watch and Talk. Why are you upset? I just signed this other deal that has like nothing to do with you. They're dad jokes. They're like puns. The White House is popping off. Yeah. It's horrible. It's very embarrassing. Fully committed it's to like that for real. Yeah, sweatshirt. Totally. We're talking about episode three of season one of The West Wing. It's called A Proportional Response. To start it off, uh, the previously on is read by CJ. So that's one CJ, one Mandy so far. Uh, diving into the scenes. Well, the first one's an exterior shot, and it's of the White House, and it's raining outside, and it's just extremely on the nose. Uh, what is, metaphorically is that the right word for that? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Th- it's this episode starts so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Josh walks into the office. He swipes his uh, access card on this cool card reader thing that has a lot of green lights on it. <laughs> Donna is says that CJ is looking for him. They have a little bit of banter. Jo- Donna wants a raise. Uh, she's kind of like holding the info over Josh about like what CJ is asking about. He's scared. She's, she's playing hardball. Yeah. Yeah. He, and he's like, he came in like all like happy this morning and then found out CJ wanted to see him and he is scared now. The whole first part of this scene, he kind of looked like he like didn't wash his shampoo out of his hair completely. <laughs> this is the episode where they decided to perm Bradley Whitford's hair for the rest <laughs> of the show and for really his whole career. Do you think that Bradley Whitford started to perm his hair or stop straightening his hair i mean it's really just two sides of the same coin i feel like a perm is like much more of a commitment than a straightening situation josh finally figures out that cj knows something about Lori's situation with sam and then we kind of we go into the office cj is hiding out in there with legs up on the desk reading a newspaper like a super cool guy making herself at home has anybody here put ever put legs on a desk yeah yeah i don't think i've done it it's like an ottoman that's too high doesn't seem comfortable it's nice i'll I'll put my legs on anything yeah no i like putting my legs on anything having your legs on the floor is inferior to having them on something. I had one note on this scene that um, this is kind of where the overly dramatic lighting starts in the show and that there's like spotlights hanging down from the ceiling. Like it's supposed to be the beginning of the morning in this scene and it looks like it's midnight and it's completely dark except for these like giant spotlights every one, every like 10 feet in the office and they never really stop doing that. Yeah, the, the lighting is very bad in the show and it, it really never gets much better. I think it's meant to be dramatic. And like moody. Yeah. It's just sometimes it's just very hard to see what's going on. Yeah. I was definitely squinting to try to see what was happening. Main titles. This is still that different theme song, I think. They must do it for the whole first season. So then we get, we just go through the titles and then CJ. I got to say, spoiler in the titles. Because I saw my boy Dulé Hill Mm -hmm. coming up. Oh, yeah. They used his name in it. Yeah. And his photo. And I and I was like, oh man, honestly, right away, I was like, wow, the president has a new black friend. Yeah. So I was like, I guess like we can talk about this because yeah. it was in the titles, but this is so exciting. It was so hard not to say anything last week when you were talking about that to tell you about Charlie, my favorite character of all time. And this whole episode is very emotional for me because I love Charlie so much. I want him to be like my boyfriend. It's a great episode. Well, you to- I, you totally foreshadowed it mm-hmm. last t- last episode. So I was expecting something. I wasn't surprised, but they t- they hit you right in in the credits. It's like, immediate. He, uh, well, we'll get to it. But he's he's basically Morris like reincarnated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like trust him so much and I don't even know him. He tap dances. 
In real life? In real life. He's like a acclaimed tap dancer. No way. There's videos of him. It's great. I didn't think Julie Hill could get any better. And then it just happened. The first scene in the episode is kind of the continuation of the one from before the credits. It's CJ and Josh. Uh, it's CJ yelling at Josh for a while about like, how could you not bring this to me? She says a uh, hard copy is going to get a wind of it and talk about it. Which Was that a TV show? I kind of remember the name, but it's like a news magazine. about. It's like TMZ in the 90s, kind of, but slightly more cloaked in being an actual news program. They have a pretty great uh, yelling at each other thing. where uh, So good. Oh, we th- I thought of you, Brayden, when Josh tells CJ. She- You're overreacting. Am I? Yes. As women are prone to do. It's like I'm watching Brayden defend her. She's like, you're gaslighting me like right away. Yeah, yeah. It was like Oh, and then she says, that's what you always do. Yeah, it's always what you mean. And that I thought was too far. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, so that pretty much is what this show has always meant. I thought this was kind of the show like recognizing how sexist parts of the first couple episodes were and like in in its like own way addressing itself yeah i think T- cj like takes a bunch of hits this episode from the men on the staff and she deals with it in like a really magnificent way where she insults them back but also somehow takes the high road at the same time she doesn't like cut deep when she insults them it's just it's good she enough. does call josh a fascist you elitist harvard fascist missed the dean's list two semesters in a row yankee jackass <laughs> but it, I feel like it's a play, he, playfully she gets, fascist. She gets called a feminista first. Though. Yes. Paranoid Berkeley shiksa feminista. And a shiksa, some Yiddish in there. I have a suspicion that fascist was originally technocrat, and they kind of were like, no one knows what technocrat is. <laughs> but that's kind of what she means. Like, he's like an elitist, liberal, like, I know what's best for everyone, paternalistic fascist. Yeah, because yeah. Josh isn't very fascist, really. He, I guess he he wants to use government to do stuff a lot, but... He doesn't seem authoritarian he's, at all so his far. His character is never as concerned as Toby and Sam are about like the democratic process and sort of rule of law and and uh, all of those other issues that Toby. Yeah, like in the first in. episode, he wanted to like use the military to go rescue the refugees without like any cause for that. He's just like, oh, we can do it. Let's do it. It's not really fascism necessarily <laughs> but it's a it's an in the moment comeback and then they they kind of make up a little bit and then josh tries to like get on her good side by saying she looks good you look like a million bucks by don't the way. try and make up with me they kind of got it out and then they just start up with the like casual sexism again she does look good though so i i can't necessarily tell like my read of this scene was not that they were like owning and exploring the awkwardness of the prior episodes i kind of felt like Aaron Sorkin's intention was to have this be an ongoing theme between CJ's character and the male characters. Like she's sort of the like feminist one that always reminds them and sort of scolds them about their uh, their attitudes towards women. Do you really think Aaron Sorkin is exploring those views critically or is actually identifying with some of the views that Sam and Josh have towards CJ? I think that this early on in the show, it's sort of difficult to tell, but this episode makes makes it feel less one-sided because CJ is standing up for herself and she is doing her job really well. And really, it's just that she is the one scolding Josh and Sam and they're freaking out about getting in trouble, basically, and reacting like children to her, but really, really mean children. So like because CJ's allowed to win. Right. It kind of shows that she's in the right. Yeah. 
she's a boss bitch i think both and donna so i think you know he i, th- I think we're exploring these ideas in in positive ways but also we have to understand this is an old old program this yeah. is not contemporary and i do think we've come a little little far there's some definitely moments where i feel like um it, the show dates itself like later in the episode we'll get to this but um cg gets called a by a reporter he says down girl to her and that is just completely overlooked as if like that's oh, okay yeah, yeah. We'll get to that, but I don't know. This week, a presidential candidate some said something about women leaving their kitchen. So, yeah, I guess we weird. haven't really come that far. Yeah, but to me, it dates the show a little bit. Josh and Toby and CJ have a quick walk and talk. Toby had dinner with the president, and he kept leaving to order people around about this military thing from last episode. He wants some kind of retaliation for Morris's airplane getting hit out of the sky. They mentioned the first lady kind of for the first time in the whole show i believe then he basically says like he's gonna blow up half of north africa then they cut to the president leo president is super mad this is crap leo it's been three days this is amateur hour basically is saying that we need to blow up something quick he says this is candy ass this is candy ass you get the sense that he is really disappointed with whatever plan he's already heard from the joint chiefs i guess and he thinks that the response is not proportional or too proportional maybe what it yes, is is it's too... candy ass this is candy ass um he makes like a slip up it's been 72 hours leo that's more than three days since they blew him out of the sky and leo catches on that pretty quick and tells him not to mention that around the joint chiefs he doesn't want the president to take it personally really but then the president says i met morris four or five times let's not do this like he was my son and then i'm like yes he was like he was kind of like they were very close in some ways he was a father and they were like brothers maybe yeah, yeah I see that. maybe they were more like equals sort of but anyway there was like it was so heavy-handed the last episode yeah president kind of disses morris in yeah. that scene a little bit like ugh, come on i think he's just he really feels strongly about morris but he's just trying to hide it and be like a tough guy there's a hole in his heart a Morris-shaped hole. Morris. Where Morris once dwelt. Mm-hmm. And he needs <laughs> some sort of Charlie character to come in the same sort of shape and fill that hole. And I think this is just emphasizing this at the very beginning of this episode. And spoiler alert, it can't end until that's filled. The president's uh, glasses are missing. That's an important point for later in the episode, and they make a big deal out of it. Um, I think he should have, like, a lot of glasses. I would have so many glasses. Serious. When I'm president... I just saw that Teddy Roosevelt had, like, 12 pairs of glasses when he went into the Cuban, the Spanish-American War. And that was a long time ago. Yeah. They didn't have all these fancy glasses. I also get the sense that they're readers. They're not, like, for distance. And so I, I feel like people who have readers have multiple pairs. Oh, yeah. Those aren't even prescription usually. Right? You can buy them at the drugstore. And you could, I think, in 1999 also, because I really wanted glasses and I bought a pair and then I couldn't see. Leo starts to say something. He says, like, we need to talk about and then he gets interrupted and then he never finishes it. And he make, they make it seem like a big deal. But I couldn't figure out what he meant to say. Do you guys know? Uh, it's about I, I believe it's about Bartlett just being all crazy over the the Moore situation, and but then he decides that he's too emotional and oh he can't even handle like, it right it's now. It's like not the time. He puts okay. it off, and it, it eventually happens later. There was a cool, very very long study cam shot at kind of the middle of the scene when they go from the outer office. They follow the president and Leo into the office, and then like circle around the desk a couple times, stepping up its like camera work game this episode. The next scene is the senior staff meeting. This is third episode in a row that basically starts with a senior staff meeting. 
It seems like they kind of kick them all off that way at yeah, this point. Yeah, I think so. It's a good setup for what is to come in the episode. Yeah, they can kind of dispatch everybody. Yeah. Sam tells a story about a congressman named Bertram Coles, which is an extremely Aaron Sorkin name. Mm-hmm. Not figure out how that name was spelled. I, 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 I couldn't find it. It took me a while. Um, Bertram I, Cole. How, how was that spelled? I watched it with closed captioning on, and it was B E R T R O M. O-M. I thought that's what the closed okay. captioning said. But th- maybe the internet says The different. Wikipedia page says Bertram with an oh. A-M. But I, th- I was thinking it was Bertram. I, I couldn't find it on the Wikipedia page. There's like a page that's like list of politicians in the West Wing. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I wrote his name. I wrote Bertson. I wrote Bortson. And then I finally saw it on closed captioning. And then I, wrote, I was like, oh, Bertram. Bortson calls. <laughs> Those are some cool names. Bortson, son of Bort. That makes sense. <laughs> this guy's in the news because he was speaking at a military base and he said, Folks down here are patriotic, fiercely patriotic. The president better not be planning on making any visits to this base. If he does, he may not get out alive. And he's accusing him of being weak on defense. It has been three days since terrorists did this bad thing, and they didn't even kill a lot of them yet. It's unclear. Like, I I kind of went back and watched this, whether he's specifically talking about the event that happened, like the attack and the president's response, or if he's just generally calling the president weak on defense. They they mentioned something that, like, some program got cut. There was some, you know, they're building ships at this base or something like that. Um, So Toby's extremely, extremely mad about this. He's accusing him of treason. How about threatening the life of the president? He's talking to other people. How about conspiracy? They were military officers. How about treason? The thing that makes him the most mad is that it was a Democrat who said it. That was a member of our own party, Leo. That was a Democrat who said that. This is obviously pre like extreme polarization of the two parties that there are like conservative members of the Democratic Party still because this like would never happen nowadays. I don't think it would it would totally happen. I you think, think so. Yeah, there's oh, yeah. like some pretty conservative. I can't Democrats. remember anybody saying that stuff about Obama. Well, uh, that's because Obama wouldn't cut pork in this way. So the problem here is like this guy has moneyed interests in his district that are, are a military base. And they probably have uh, contractors and various other industries that have jobs and stuff. And if he cuts funding to whatever program makes a plane or whatever in that area or provides something to the base, you know, that congressman's top priority is to those people and not necessarily to his party. And that happens all the time. And that's why it's so hard for presidents to do things that make sense at the expense of the political power structure in their of their own party members because you're pretty pretty much like frozen in place to not piss anyone off or they're gonna attack you immediately next scene is a walk and talk with all the staff um cj is just dominates this scene we need to be fully stocked state department officials pentagon will need the embassy we office. should get mcmartin on board he's standing by and adam lee at the pentagon Got him. so you're all set good tj's like i already did that yep i already did that too toby breaks off and seeds with the press that the Secret Service is investigating uh, Bortson. Bortson. Bortson Coles. Bertram. Bertram. Excuse me, I believe his name is Bortson. He basically says like the Secret Service investigates all threats and that he can't comment on whether there is or is not an investigation. Yeah, that's badass. And I think we get um, the first uh, real appearance of Ginger in this one. 
Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she like knows what Toby's doing and like, Yeah, she's very impressed with him. Yeah. So what I think about like seriously every time I see Ginger is did her parents name her Ginger before they found out she was a redhead? That's hmm. a good question. I'm just putting it out there. CJ then confronts Sam. She says she knows about Lori. You can't spend time with a call girl, Sam. You're going to get caught. Sam kind of gets defensive about it. Caught doing what? Don't get cute with me. And then they escalate from there. You work 50 feet from the Oval Office and you're consorting with a woman. Consorting? He basically says, like, I'm reforming her. (laughs) It's okay. They Um, each say three things that all mean the same thing. Yeah, that's a very... And uh, accuse each other of it. That's another extremely sorkin thing is to have like this like repetition of like sentence structure between two people Remember. you just said three things that all mean the same thing you just said three things that all mean the same thing but actually I, th- I thought that one like landed really well it was very like powerful yeah and i think that what sam said to cj was like definitely crossing a line he said is you once again letting the character cops win in a forfeit because you don't have the guts or the strength or the courage to say we know what's right from wrong and this is none of your damn business and that was like much meaner than what cj accused him of cj is like super mad at sam because of the he says those mean things about her and sam walks away and he punches the wall which is pretty like not cool behavior in an office right like you're not a a historic building but guys as we know the white house is made of cement (laughs) we did learn that true cj they're, they're really showing how good she is at being dominant. Like, she's got the legs up in the Josh scene. And then in this scene, she, like, looks down. She, like, puts her glasses on. She looks down, and she starts, like, doing work on her yeah, laptop. just coolly dismisses him. And then Sam, realizing that maybe he's burned a bridge here, feels out, like, how badly he's messed up by bringing up something that she might find interesting. Like, I think he says, what are they going to do in the, the uh, retribution attack? And she just barely looks up and goes, we're done here. (laughs) And he's like, damn it. (laughs) I walked right into that. And then he punches the wall. We cut down to the situation room. It's the first time we see the situation room in the West Wing. Um, Fitz Wallace uh, is talking about his coffee. Like that's how we get introduced to this Mm -hmm. character who's going to end up being an authority figure in the show. There's also like um, when the president enters, there is a huge slam of a door or like burst through a door right before he goes in and you don't see that door open or anything, but it kind of like, you know, the president's already mad and kind of feeling crazy right now. And I think it just prepares you for a really intense scene of him being very angry. The They suggest three possible scenarios and they're kind of all like this proportional response is the phrase they keep using. All three scenarios are comprehensive. Meet the obligations of proportional response and pose minimum risk to American personnel and assets. Scenario one or Pericles one to use his code name, sir. What is the is- virtue of a proportional response? So there, there's a scene in The American President, which I, I talked about a little last week, that is basically word for word of this scene. Someday someone's going to have to explain to me the virtue of a proportional response. It's, I, like the same, it's the same speech. And the crazy part is that the Leo to the president in that movie, the guy trying to talk him down is Charlie... Uh, Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen. Yeah. Charlie, <laughs> it's Charlie Sheen, actually. <laughs> Sir, it's immediate. It's decisive, it's low risk, and it's a proportional response. What is the virtue of a proportional response? Why is it good? You can see a very different side of the president this time where the last episode he was, you know, afraid of violence and going to war. And now he wants not 
just violence and to go to war but like a disaster he, he wants-, wants the disproportional response yes <laughs> which is a very good phrase there's a really like menacing dolly zoom that they do in this scene where they're kind of like they're pushing in on the president and like zooming the camera back it's it's a very like scorsese thing it makes him look kind of like a villain for a little for like one shot storms out of the room and everybody's pretty freaked out like leo looks extremely confused especially we cut to the roosevelt room charlie is sitting there or some some guy we don't know dule hill is sitting in the roosevelt room and josh comes in he tells charlie that he's supposed to vet him and charlie is like for this entire scene just the most confused person possible it's oh, it's so adorable he's so i don't i, I don't like that you don't on the top oh my gosh i love him he's I, so I, like... I, I like the character a lot but that scene always rubs me a little weird because he's just like he repeats himself like 30 times i think there's been some kind of mistake i was looking for a job as a messenger i don't understand that's not see there's been a mistake well i see i came here for a messenger job but he yeah. can do no wrong and he's like legitimately confused they, they go way over the top with how humble he's being about he's like it's, so it's, humble. it's becoming very it. clear that they want him for something better than a messenger and he's i have a driver's like, license he's almost like aggressively arguing with josh well, although he's got to take care of his sister mm-hmm. right and he's basically a single parent i yeah. do wonder about that because Josh says, like, this is a job that has 20-hour-long days, and he's like, I take care of my sister, and then he still takes the job by the end. Well, I kind of imagine that they got him a sweet, like, benefits package. Like, they got him a nanny or something, because they're like, like, we'll take care of this. I'm sure there's daycare, but also there's probably plenty of single parents working at the Well, sister's in high school. She doesn't really daycare. So there you go. (laughs) And the president's like, I've changed my legislative (laughs) agenda because of you, son. Um, they mentioned that Char- Charlie had interviewed with somebody named Misty LaGuardia, oh, which is an, an extremely Sorkin name as well. Wait, hold on, hold on. So this is another one where I got confused about the name and the closed captioning helped me here. <laughs> I thought it was Misty LaGuardia. It's not? <laughs> it's Miss de la guardia <laughs> oh wow and then the best part is so this if you thought it was miss de la guardia the next part of the scene wouldn't make sense because um sam comes in and says that debbie has got a great eye for personnel well you know who i thought that was who? debbie fitterer it, it is what so she changes her name she does okay yeah i, remember, I forgot she does mention the- that can we just say miss de la guardia <laughs> sounds like a porn star name <laughs> Uh, so the job that he's actually there to interview for is the personal aide to the president. He opens the door. He makes people. He introduces people to him. He brings them into the office. That kind of stuff. Um, Charlie like tries to leave in the middle of the interview. Um, he, I guess I don't know. Is he scared? I think he doesn't know what's going on and is like really freaked out. Guys, he has to take care of his sister. Hello, yeah. his mom was killed. Yeah, that's the where they cut is uh that he says his mom was killed on duty. Only five months ago, he's, she was a police officer, and he's yeah, the man of the house. Yeah, we get we get very uh, sympathetic treatment of I Charlie like off the bat. Straight up cried when he. I, I cried a lot in this episode because of Charlie. <laughs> oh, I love him. Uh, we cut back to the sit room again. Um, the president tells a joke about cardiologists, and then Fitz Wallace goes over the alternate plan that they come up with, and it's the it's very very over the top, cruel and like war crimey it's like okay we're gonna fit hit a civilian airport we're gonna kill thousands of people 
We're then we're and... gonna we're gonna cut off all the medical supply and bottled water routes to get any help into the place. It's like brutal. And then he goes on to say that, that this strike would be seen both at home and abroad as a staggering overreaction by a first time commander in chief. And I think that really hits the president hard. Yeah, it's so hard that he needs to cop a cigarette. He needs a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he also says it's um a five thousand dollars worth of punishment for a fifty buck crime. Uh, I think I thought the president was super cool looking with that cigarette. Yeah. Personally, unfortunately, he, he, he don't knows, smoke. He knows he knows how to smoke it though. Is this the first time he smokes? Yeah, I think so. This yeah. is the first time. First he... of many. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Isn't that but that Obama is like that too i think you've seen him with like a cigarette here and there yeah kids when when you're president you get to smoke yeah that's the thing presidents can't get cancer nope they can't i always felt like it's kind of strange that a president doesn't have the willpower to stop smoking but like would otherwise have the enormous willpower you would expect a president to have to do all the other stuff they have to do just seems kind of strange i think that there is a pleasure in smoking a cigarette the habit is very bad for you but there can some there's something to be found in the experience of smoking a cigarette i think maybe what i'm to to sort of parse out like judging all people who smoke cigarettes even if they enjoy it i think so many politicians especially at that level just get rid of everything about themselves that could be criticize that that one could easily get rid of and i know obama always got a lot of crap for setting a bad example for people right so i just feel like it's something that probably he was told many times he should stop if possible and he was like i'm not gonna be able to stop that or doesn't want to yeah yeah but that's weird there's a lot of things you probably don't want to stop when you're a politician but you have to stop or at least hide can we also talk about like dark rooms and the situation room is so dark so it's like a sleepover in there it's so dark <laughs> and there's like b- weird blue lights yeah they're under like a, a sheet fort yeah it feels basically. like you're at some like kind of euro trashy nightclub a little bit too yeah so the president smokes a cigarette and then he he finally gives the order on the first thing that they propose which is like the proportional response per- pericles one and then there's this really funny thing that happens is that as he starts to give the order, this guy walks over to a telephone as if like he's going to like call it in. And then as soon as he says go, Fitz Wallace walks over to the guy and the guy just picks up the phone for Fitz Wallace <laughs> and hands it to him. <laughs> like this guy, is, he's like a general. He has like, you know, scrambled eggs on his chest or whatever. <laughs> and his entire job is just to pick up the phone for the other general. That's not well, a day one gig. I mean, you work your way up. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff doesn't like, doesn't get put on hold or like. He doesn't pick up his own phone. Your phone's ringing. I like to think about the person on the other side of that phone. Like they're always waiting for someone to pick it up. Like, do you think someone's always on the phone just like waiting? I think so. Yeah. Probably. I I would hope so. It's an important phone call. Um, The president throws his cigarette uh, into a glass of water and it does this weird thing where it just sticks vertically. Did you guys notice yeah, that? Yeah, do you think they had to practice that? I don't know if they could have practiced that. It's so odd. It just goes, it lands in its thing of water and then it doesn't move. Smart and Sheen. Um, and, then, and then as he, he kind of storms out of the room and he's like, and it doesn't really storm, but he, you know, he leaves and everybody's kind of congratulating him for 
killing his first people, and then he throws the like fifty buck crime line back into Fitz Wallace's face. Fifty buck crime. I honestly don't know what the hell we're doing here. My interpretation of this scene it reminded me a lot of what I've perceived Obama has to go through. I think all presidents have to go through. Because what I think is happening here is they're training him. Like the incredibly disproportionate option that they gave him is not the only other option. They certainly could have come up with something. Oh, yeah. He gets completely worked over. Like they manipulate him completely. He... the commander-in-chief orders the military to come up with something a little bit more intense. And they're like, oh, uh, okay, so we came up with this murdering everyone. Yeah, we can nuke the entire world or you can well, do what we want you to do. Knowing full well that he was going to back down and go at the proportional option, right? And this happens, I think, all the time to presidents where they're like, listen, I want this. Like when Obama told Geithner to come up with a plan for nationalizing the banks or, you know, uh, breaking them up and Geithner was like yeah no I'm not gonna do that do you think he came up with like a big plan he's like all right well like capitalism's done well they may not even come up with any plan here's the other plan what I mean we're gonna convert to an economy of seashells (laughs) you're you're told you're in charge right and then you tell someone to do something but you're kind of beholden to being able to enforce their failure to do it exactly how you expect them to do it and so I think in a lot of ways, like you're kind of just this constitutional figure that signs off on the proposals that a bunch of other people are forcing right. you to you choose between. You have to like defer to so many people's expertise and understanding of things. You can't possibly sit down and, you know, learn all of the nuances. Oh, you're talking about the shadow government. So the next scene is Josh and Charlie again. Um, Josh is kind of quizzing Charlie about like his backstory. Sam pops in. So yeah, we're we're getting kind of like a Charlie exposition scene a little bit here. Then Sam comes in and like once the questions get too personal, he like kind of stands in for Charlie as if he's getting questioned. You know, it's kind of a allusion to his situation. And I think though the so they he's like, Oh Charlie, I'm gonna ask you a series of like questions I just have to ask. And one of them is like, Have you ever tried to overthrow a government? Like silly things. And then he starts asking about his personal life and then Sam gets angry at him which I didn't understand why he got angry. Well, he he's on a people shouldn't be questioned about their personal activities kick. Right. So he's just like a, a applying as if he, he, like he didn't even listen to Charlie. Like when he asked him, like, have you ever overthrown the government? And Charlie's like, well, I, uh, and Sam's like, what more do you need to hear? Yeah. But he, so he jumps. To, so I don't, I didn't get this from it, but he's like, he's asking you if you're gay. Like that is the thing he's getting. I didn't at. pick that up. I didn't that pick that up at all. But maybe there's something like Sam knows about Josh that he would ask that. Or the interview process. Josh doesn't seem to deny it. Right. So Josh like owns up to it, I think, pretty much. And I think the way that this is written, it's trying to make it seem like Sam is having a really emotional day and he's kind of erratic and getting overly angry about this. But I actually think his response is proportional to the accusation of asking that question, that he shouldn't be asking that and he should be angry that he was asking something Don't ask, like don't that. tell. No, just, just don't, don't ask. Don't. So asking personal <laughs> questions that are unrelated to the skills necessary to perform your job or your academic background or work history are is actually illegal in most contexts. So you're not allowed to fi- ask any personal questions that could lead you to finding out what the socioeconomic background of their family is or their sexual orientation. I, wouldn't somebody like being in direct contact with the president 
fall into the case where like you get to ask those kind of questions, so, like a deep background check? I think the exceptions are where there's an appointed position versus something you're sort of hiring from the general population. So yeah, may, I'm not sure whether a White House... But like, I don't think it would be the deputy staff. chief of staff that would be asking those questions. I think it would be some like a Secret Service. Misty or... LaGuardia probably would ask. <laughs> yes. Misty LaGuardia, yeah. But I just think someone more official would be asking or just doing a background check on Charlie. Um, but the big question is, is he going to do his job? Is he going to work like really late hours and come in early? And he said yes, so... As far as Sam's concerned, and I'm concerned, that's all you need to know. Then back in Leo's office, he's doling out tasks for the rollout of this military strike. Um, Leo, you know, he tells everybody, like, you know, we're going to do this later, get the speeches ready, get ready to be on TV. CJ is, again, totally on top of shit. CJ owns this episode. She's like, she rules. Josh hangs around, and (laughs) Josh tries to get, like, personal with Leo again, and he's not having it again, just like last episode. How you doing? fine but then we find out josh just has nothing to do really. right um well then josh also is worried about uh the optics of hiring charlie like he doesn't like the idea of like a young black guy waiting on the president does that imply that a, a black boy has never held this position before the history of the united states this is a historic appointment maybe yeah, I wish they should have addressed that more, I think. That would have been more interesting than just the aesthetics of the situation, but like historically addressing it would have been cool if they had done that. Yeah, we only know that Ted had the job before. So we've got him Ted, and we don't really <laughs> we don't a, know much about him. Did Ted have the job with Bartlett? Or? I think so, because he said uh, when Josh uh, is interviewing him, Sam comes in, he's like, oh, this is Charlie. He's interviewing for Ted's old job. Oh, I wonder what happened to Ted. Yeah. Ted's dead, baby. Because <laughs> he's been president for a year now, right? Um, really? I. It's like six months to a year, something I like that. I would say like more closer to six months because this is the first military uh, military action. action. Yeah. You would think that that would happen pretty early on. But remember, this is this is taking place in the '90s, where we had a eternal period of peace and prosperity. <laughs> well, there's a there's a thing. Or so in... you think. Donna says that she's been working for Josh for 18 months. And assuming that that was during the campaign, that was probably like about a year or so. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, I think it's nine months or so in to the president, which actually wouldn't we do military strikes more often than every nine months, I would think. C- certainly now. Now we, we do. do. And I think even during Clinton, we probably did. We just weren't paying attention to them as much. But I know I can only think of really maybe two things that Clinton, like I know Bosnia, he intervened in and I can't really think of anything else. But maybe those they remember just he blew publicly... up that aspirin factory in Somalia. Yes, that's right. Yes. I don't remember that. No, I was too young. Um, so then Fitzwallis pops in. He's never met Josh before somehow. But yeah. Which seems entirely implausible unless Fitzwallis just got hired or something. But no, like, but Fitzwallis like kind of implies he's been around for a long time in that position. Right, so I don't know how he'd never met him before because Josh is kind of like the number two behind Leo. And like er- in the previous episode, he was like in the room getting military debriefed and, and somehow he's just never met him. Um, Leo kind of confirms that uh, the Charlie thing is going to be okay and Fitzwallis is pretty like knowing about it and pretty funny. And why the hell should I care? That's what I thought. I got some real honest-to-God battles to fight, Leo. I don't have time for the cosmetic ones. This is actually my favorite scene 
from Josh coming in to talk about the optics of Charlie being black through to Leo, I think really, I think it's really ahead of its time the way Leo asks Fitz about this. And it makes, of course, Fitz's character is developed, I think, in this interaction with Leo at being so authoritative and so kind of confident and in command of himself. And it just makes me like Fitz. And like above petty things. Yeah, it just makes Fitz so likable. And the way that he kind of like subtly starts responding to Leo's query with sort of like, like, where is this going? And then kind of sees where it's going. It's like, yeah, like, you know. As long as long as you treat people as human beings, yeah. Are you gonna pay him? Are you not, gonna it doesn't matter. <laughs> but I mean, I love I love that response because it's 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 not dismissive of the the realities of race, and it's also not mired in like obsessing that there's some sort of like universal distinguishing characteristic connected to race. Yeah, he doesn't treat it like it's not an actual thing. He just implicitly recognizes that like. I kind of get where you're coming from, but it's fine by also saying like, this is stupid. Stop worrying about this stuff. Also, he doesn't have to worry about things like that. He, he doesn't have to worry about the press. I just like show, like showing that there, that you can have a productive conversation about race with someone and it's okay to ask questions like that. And it's, you, you can't, you shouldn't just like ignore it and just dance around it. So yeah, I, I love the scene. Preach. Yeah. Leo's kind of like, very subtly awesome in this episode he's kind of mostly working it as the sidekick to the president and cj's really owning the show but his facial expressions this whole episode are like incredible and telling fitzwallis leaves leo's office um he runs into toby and he does know toby somehow josh is like hanging out in the roosevelt room and he just has nothing to do Sam and Toby, we kind of get the first uh, scene of them writing a speech together, and they're trying to come up with like synonyms and rule of three things. I love that um, Toby and Sam, they, it's sort of implied very cleverly always that they're incredible speechwriters, but you rarely hear the speeches that they write. You just know they're brilliant. Like, yeah, because you get of like out of the, context, like alliteration. Yeah, and all the buildup to like how good their speeches are and how much they um, sort of... I don't know. They're like perfectionists so about everything. And, uh, but they're but working on like a very tight deadline for yeah, this one. But there's like, very, there's no payoff other than like, you know, it's going to be good. CJ pops in to get like a clarification about something. Sam runs out and apologizes to her. They're made up again. Um, CJ then gets uh, ambushed by some reporters about what's going on. And we meet Danny Kincannon. Oh, this is so good. Hold on, when she gets ambushed by the reporters. It's where she's like, I'm the CJ show. It's Admiral Fitzwallis, he's chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Leo McGarry is White House Chief of Staff. I'm your host, CJ. Let's play our game. So good. Uh, yeah, so then Danny kind of flags her down. And so he's going to, he's asking her about Sam. And he says that, I know that Sam Seaborn's been going around with a $3,000 a night call girl. Right, we learn how much she costs. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. We were right, I think, last episode when we talked about her being high end. Yeah. She said she end. makes more than he does. Yeah. Three, and that's... if you consider inflation, that's even more now. Let's look that up. <laughs> <laughs> inflation calculator. They cut to Josh wandering around. He stops by Donna's desk. Donna has one of those like weird like stock footage things going on in her TV in that scene. <laughs> She's watching like it's a garbage dump getting like cleared <laughs> or like compacted. And then like it cuts to factory workers rolling things up. Like this is what. They, do you just watch how it's made all it's day either, long? It's either like fake news, which 
I wonder how much like fake news coverage they shot of just people like saying gibberish into a camera with a like picture of the Capitol behind them to use in the background of the West Wing because there's like hundreds of hours in it. He says about Charlie that he's a gamer. Yeah. Oh, so I, when he said that, I was like, I don't know what that means other than like he's fluent in Leet speak and has a WoW subscription. <laughs> but I don't think that's what he meant. If I said somebody, oh, yeah, he's a gamer. What would you take away from that? He plays games. Okay. So maybe is, there's a scene that got cut where they talk about Xbox or something. Yeah. <laughs> is this the scene where Josh calls Charlie articulate? Oh, no, no, no. That was with uh, Leo. Yeah, when he's like telling Leo okay, so how excited he is about he said, him. He said he would be articulate if he wasn't terrified. Right. So what's interesting about that is after, I think, Obama's 08 campaign, it finally became like generally accepted that the word articulate is like a dog whistle for, I guess you could, the bigotry of low expectations. Yeah, because yeah, Biden called anymore. him that. Even these coastal liberal elites suffer from pervasive systemic racism. Sad. But I think by saying he would be articulate if he wasn't so nervous, that sort of changes the meaning. Josh, uh, want, is the, yeah, he's still wandering around. Um, Mandy pops out of his office. Um, it's the, like a callback to Donna not warning him about CJ in his office earlier. I really thought we were going to get through an episode without Mandy. Yeah. Um, Mandy's okay in this one yeah she wasn't that bad the only thing that Mandy did she's just like hanging around getting excited psyched about her new job and going to work at the White House it's a weird gift yes that's what I was gonna say Mandy's like totally cool I'm like fine with her being in this episode and then and she seems smart and funny and then she gives Josh a gift which is a picture of them when they were a couple with his head blacked out with marker. Well, she said it's the night they met. Yeah. And it's like they're extremely familiar in that photo. They're like hanging on each other. <laughs> yeah. It's there's it's just screams like to him a little psychotic. So. Lucky. Um yeah, but I thought Mandy was like somewhat endearing in that one. She wasn't she I, wasn't too bad. Yeah, I thought she was chill up until the creepy photo. Like, why would you give that? But to Josh someone? liked it though. He put it up on his desk. Well, she was standing right there. What would you do? Like slide it into the trash slowly when she turns around. And Josh has a lot of like crap in his office too. We should keep tabs on if he keeps it on his desk. We should in the future. Okay. Yeah, but that's like oh, that's like, a super weird thing to have on your desk. Can you just imagine like put yourself in that position if like ex. an ex girlfriend of yours? Was, yeah. Like, what if you got mailed that? Yeah. Like a psycho. Yeah, that's cause for like arrest. scary. Yeah, so th- restraining order. Even if they do continue her sort of psychotic rage. Well, she theme. doesn't have psychotic. It's like subtle psychotic. It's like, <laughs> no, she does some endearing things and she's becoming more likable for sure. Um, especially when she gets into the White House. I think she um, becomes more charming and um, less like yelling, threatening to kill people with her car. They almost had me from mandy and then the photo so yeah i don't recommend it as a gift okay so then we get danny and cj um cj manages to talk him out of covering the sam story or even like looking into it farther after she like explains sam's good intentions and but like aggressively does and then this is when danny says down girl i'm sticking by him till the president orders me otherwise and i'm gonna look very unfavorably on those who seek only to make us look like down girl i'll drop it i'll drop it and he's a good guy so he's not gonna report on it and then as kind of like a reward for not pushing the story too hard cj gives danny like the scoop on the the bombing for 10 minutes which 
in the age of like print newspaper is not going to accomplish anything, right? People still care about scoop. I don't I don't know. Do we know who Danny works for because you could have a like a conglomerate that does print media and television and then you could sort of get started on your Chiron and like writing of whatever. I think he works for a fictional fictional paper uh we get josh and charlie again there's a quick little uh kind of like inner office politics thing about how toby took over the council's office for the communication staff yes i'm so glad you noticed also that. charlie's first walk and talk <laughs> charlie's first walk and talk um <laughs> Baby's yeah, first the, uh, the toby thing is very like indicative of like the messaging taking over like the actual governance and like mm. that they get the prime office space yeah, and that would never happen in real life. Like, there's no you way. You think the White House Council would still have it? Absolutely. Yeah. Re- because oh. in in real life, the White House Council is getting consulted, like, constantly by every... They're, they're, like, they have to be at the center of everything that's happening in the White House. They wouldn't they wouldn't be ousted to some, like, basement or... Shh, spoilers! For the speechwriting staff yeah. to take over. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. You would think that they would be closer to everyone. Like, I mean, we'll get to that in a later episode, but the White House Council would be like physically closer to. Well, many, they were. How many people so... are on the council? It's, it's, it's not CIO. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, then Josh says it's time to meet the president. Charlie starts kind of freaking out. Well, he says the only thing left to do is say hello to the president and they're walking top stops because charlie stops in his tracks like what is gonna happen he's not good at walking and talking well he's just not ready to meet the president it's too much for him he's very overwhelmed i think he was here for the messenger job yeah (laughs) (laughs) well we know he's good at talking right because he's articulate yeah. Um, so the, he eventually walks him into the Oval Office. Um, everybody's kind of getting prepped for the speech that they're going to give about the bombing. Like it's like a national address for some reason. That kind of seems like the president is like putting more importance on what this action is than is actually like valid. Because like Obama doesn't go on. Obama bombs people like every day and he doesn't go on but TV to talk about it. It's the first one. That's why Maybe. it's a big deal. And that seems to be like ever since the meeting with Leo where they're preparing for it. It's CJ wants a moment with the president because she wants to get this right. It's the first one. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, I think, why there's so much chaos and everyone's so high strung is because this is the big first military attack that they have and they never get forget right. your first bomb you never forget your first bombing yeah but maybe that's also indicative of how far we've come since the 90s where the on the in the, the, the rare occurrence of a of a military action was like oh you know it's like a big deal this is before the war on terror we're now in a permanent war so there's always bombing it's we don't care anymore yeah mm-hmm. but it's less visible because you don't have a big deal made out of it the president can't find his glasses still. He keeps like trying to read something and keeps putting it like closer to his face and can't do it. He's kind of yelling at everybody about his glasses. Uh, Miss Landingham says that she can bring an optometrist in as a kind of joke. Charlie uses like his context clues to figure out where the president probably left his glasses. It was the Phoenix report in the study. <laughs> <laughs> he like that's a, a pretty good scene for charlie where he has to like speak up and then everybody just like the music stops and everybody turns around and, like stares at him and the president is yeah, the so DJ stops. rude he's so mean to him i cried a little bit yeah he says i don't have any time for new people yeah <laughs> that's that's so how we mean. know that jed bartlett is an introvert 
Oh, yeah. It doesn't give him energy to talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even Fitzwallace said earlier, he doesn't need new friends. He's the president. <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah. He's not here to make friends. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually. It's show government, not show friends. The first reality show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's so mean. He's so mean to Charlie. And he was just trying to help. And then, of and course, they mislanding him. It's like, okay, we know where the glasses are now. Thank right. you, Charlie. Uh, and that Leo kind of takes that as. I need to pull the president aside. Another great Leo facial expression. <laughs> He's like, okay, let's let's time out this one. Yeah. Um, he takes uh, the president into his office and he basically says, like, you can't go on TV and yell at everybody. He says he needs to buy flowers for his wife. He basically says he's going to fight him. President says, like, the Romans didn't have to put up with this shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> a Roman could walk around and, like, say some magic incantation, and they would suddenly, like, stop from being molested while they were about, which I... Good old days. Does he mean molested, like, just, like, t- like touched by an unwelcome person, or does he mean, like, yeah, you... molested? <laughs> <laughs> I think molesting's way down since Roman times. <laughs> oh, I, before we move on too far away from this... I, what triggers Leo deciding to finally have the private conversation with President Bartlett was Toby making like a like explosion gesture to him. Oh, I, did, I read that differently. I thought oh, it was, really? It was the, the Charlie snub. No, I think it was the Charlie snub. And then Toby says, you have 10 minutes before we're on no, air. He said 10, like... Like he held his hands up, oh, like dear, really? <laughs> 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 you thought he was just like Let's blowing it up with Let's both hands. Yeah, yeah, I really. I Toby's definitely like... making exploding hands. Oh, maybe you're right. <laughs> when you look like... back, so he's just warning him, like you've got ten minutes to have yeah, this conversation. Yeah, right. he's doing it like a like you would signal yeah. in broadcasting to someone, like five, ten, like ten minutes. But I love right. that you think that it was an explosion. <laughs> the president throws out like a couple like stats or like incidents that have been like percolating while he wants to kind of like ratchet up military force (laughs) i did the hands (laughs) and he says uh 286 marines were killed in beirut which is sort of like a real thing it happened in 1983 it's a real thing um but in two in 1983 241 american military servicemen got killed in beirut so I think this is shortly after like the rift, mm-hmm. the time. Yeah, the time so rift. it's like still kind of similar, but like this is like what after 1969 and before 1983 now. So we're we're narrowing down there, and then Leo comes back at him with the best part of the whole episode, where he says, "So my friend, if you want to start using American military strength as the arm of the Lord, you can do that." We're the only superpower left. You can conquer the world, like Charlemagne. But you better be prepared to kill everyone. And you better start with me, because I will raise up an army against you, and I will beat you. Yeah, so this is where uh, the president's been the victim of some threats this episode, but his own chief of staff threatens a military coup. (laughs) So I, I think my uh, my West Wing fan bona fides are well established, but this would have been a better show. <laughs> and from this at this point on, it was like, okay, bring it, Leo. And then Leo like storms out and starts like raising another army, and they just do that for seven seasons. I would 
definitely kickstart that. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure you just created a new West Wing fanfic. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We should like make a comic about this or something. What if? Mm-hmm. I think Leo could like bring it too. He's little, but he's the mighty. military like respects him. So right? I think he could have picked off some commanders. Yeah, and he seems to go way back with Fitz Wallace. So. so the president fights back a little bit. He says like, oh, they're just going to rebuild these things in six months. And then Leo says, we're going to blow them up again in six months that we're getting really good at it. And then he says this weird thing. It's what our fathers taught us. Why didn't you say so? Which I don't actually understand. I guess it's just like this is how we do things is the takeaway there. But it's it's an odd way of phrasing that. I I got from all the tense scenes with the Joint Chiefs that he is being looked to by them to sort of tell the president like how this is gonna go, like what mm-hmm. what the deal is with the military and how, you know, they're gonna kinda just do what they're gonna do. And there's a way of doing things. Yeah, there's a lot of like so far references to what fathers can teach people. What about the moms? Moms don't do war as much. I I don't know. I grew up in an argumentative household. My mom, I love you, mom. <laughs> but if a thirteen-year-old girl and a mom, they're just gonna go at it. It's war. Yeah. Uh, the president says something to Leo about like all the work you put in to get me to run and to get me elected, which is a little bit of backstory that like kind of Leo is the reason that the president even ran for president. And then they kind of joke around about um, Bortz and Coles. Um, <laughs> and the president hears about this for the first time, which is uh, that was interesting to me because that seemed like that was like a story already. But I guess the president just doesn't read blogs during He's the day. He don't got time for that. He's busy right. with the military stuff yeah. going on, man. Mm-hmm. Well, he says, I have a story like about Bortz and Bert. Burt's and Coles, Burtsum, and um, the president's like, oh, I know this is going to be a good one. Yeah, I like any story that starts with Bertram Cole. Yeah, Bertram. By the way, I, I really like this scene because I it, it kind of plays into this thing I've, I've thought about a lot of where it kind of sucks to be the president. It kind of sucks to be a lot of political office holders. And I think too often the press glamorizes being the president. They, yeah, something they like mentioned so many times in this episode is that this is his first time having some sort of military act, and not just that it's like a b- sort of rite of passage thing, but more that it's like very trying on a person and difficult, and like how can you possibly mentally prepare for something like that to have to like commi- order an act of violence? And I think that that's a lot to ask of a person who you're electing based on like policy and stuff, and. Like, I, I kind of feel like you have to have narcissistic personality disorder to think, one, that that the pros outweigh the cons at having that kind of job, and two, that like to really believe that your decision-making ability is so much better than, like, anyone else out there. Well, and the campaigning. Like, yeah, calling yeah. people 10 hours a day for two years. Begging to, them for money. Yeah, uh, begging them for money to, like, invest in your operation to put you in charge of everything mm-hmm. yeah so th- this is one of those scenes where there's yet a yet another sort of like tug at a feeling of realism where you're like oh yeah but then they they do have like a very nice like human moment even as high stakes as this moment is like he can hear a story about some like goofy guy that they both know and be amused by it and they can joke around a little well it's it's like that's that's the signal that he's finally gotten to a point where he can kind of laugh and right. be so tense and vengeful. Well, I think he realizes that 
he's got a new black friend. <laughs> oh, right, because he asked about Charlie. He's mm-hmm. like, who was that That's guy? That's the turning point. Yeah. He's oh. like, oh, I like my whole, the Morris. whole is Morris who? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yeah. Um, and then we, we cut back to the Oval. CJ and Toby are are talking. Um, CJ is getting questions about this like Secret Service uh, inquiry thing that Toby did earlier. Did you say that? Yeah. Hey, you don't suppose that's how the story got started, do you? You know what, CJ? You tell Burke Coles that Toby's eagle said there's a new sheriff in town. Uh, and then the president comes in and talks to Charlie. He somehow already has all this like very specific info about his mother's death, like the kind of bullets that got she got shot with. Which... And again, he's changed his legislative priorities. He's now well, he, no, he said that, he said that they were already going after those yeah, i think but like how does he even look know. that up that fast like, well, so you can get a quick background check on anyone i'm sure charlie's face is just like breaks my heart that i actually cried like this is when i really really cried about um, the the gun control legislation actually has been mentioned before it's the thing that larry and ed were talking to sam about in the first episode oh, the okay. grandma with the gun thing right it's a little bit of a callback i th- I, th- I like when they keep the like plot lines straight in these shows like that they actually follow through on things even if it's just subtle references like that um and then the president starts joking around with everybody starts a speech and that's the end of the episode wait charlie says he sees him after oh, and right, he right. says i've never felt like this before <laughs> and then josh says it doesn't go away yeah oh, so good. um the uh but i hear in later seasons it does get less good that's what I've heard. Who you well, heard that from? Just remember that you said that, and you'll we'll see. Well, we have it on tape. It's just getting, it's true. It's going to get remember. better for a while. Uh, my my question, this episode was so good. I can't imagine it getting much better. My question about that is like, how is they said they needed to block half an hour off for the president's speech earlier in the episode? Leo's like, we're going to need thirty minutes on the network tonight. That's a what lot. What is he going to talk about for half an hour? <laughs> Yeah, that, that this is, is a, way too long. This is a two-minute long speech. Maybe Toby and Sam are kind of like overriding things I don't a think, little bit. I don't think it took a half hour for Obama to announce killing bin Laden. No, it's three sentences. Yeah. It's Let me tell you about a man named Morris. <laughs> <laughs> he had a baby. Mm-hmm. And he did good doctor stuff. Mm-hmm. And a nice house. Real good. He still has the nice house, though, you know. Unless his wife can't pay the mortgage anymore. Oh, God. Morris. <laughs> <laughs> then we get the credits. Uh, this week, it's a shot of Mandy, which is like a very... Why? In- she's not, yeah, she's not a, 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 a consequential part of this episode, really, but she's the credit shot for some reason. And it's another just stupid close-up. Yeah. Like, they were... I don't it, know, gets, it gets better. See, what they should have done is had a shot of Mandy and Josh and scratched Josh's head out. That would be hilarious. <laughs> that would be really funny i'd appreciate that. and then uh, it would imply that mandy's the one who's doing the end of episode shots <laughs> very meta add a whole nother wrinkle the uh the normal credits music is back in this one thank god mm-hmm. it that last one really threw me off i didn't like it uh but yeah that's the that's the episode um so we do headlines next yeah headlines headlines I'm um ready. so we're gonna do um the president can't go to South Carolina because he's going to get murdered by the military speech uh, as the headlines this week. That's the, Bertrand. Yeah, Coles. Yeah. Bertson. Bert, Bertram Coles said this. Bertram Coles. 
Um, does anybody have one they want to start with? Start with the good one. Well, I don't want to like okay. set the bar too high. Yeah. Coals fires off at president. Coal fire like pizza. Like I have a lot of coal and fire things here. Um, Coal's cool on Bartlett. See, I didn't know what his name was. Because <laughs> you didn't watch his closed caption. Oh, I, I had a name one. I looked it up. All my our name ones, all of them. Um, I couldn't find it. Coal's blooded. Ooh. Ooh. Coles trolls president to go up in polls. Mm. <laughs> mm -mm. Mm -mm. I love that. Mm -mm. Thank you, thank you. I had one that's um, treating him that's that's anti Bertram Coles, and it's um, it's the word assassination in all caps, but the first ass is Ooh. in italics. Ooh. Ooh. Nice. That's great. I called him a uh, a coo coo. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> That's great. Oh, I had one. Bertreason Coles. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, I had a really bad one. Demo spat party. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I did, I did write down Tweedledee, just the D, for Tweedledem. So that's yeah. also oh, okay. bad. That's okay. also bad. <laughs> Aaron Burr trend. Ooh. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> but I'm also going to throw in there um, Bertrand Coles out Prez. I think actually his name was Bertson. It's Bertrand. <laughs> Bertrand. 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 No, not Bertrand, <laughs> which is what I thought. Bertram. Bertram. Bertrand. I spelled no, it all wrong. Bertram. Bertram. B e r t r. The president did say Bert Coles. Right. I Does did. That I did a lot of Bert B u r. Stuff. He he called him Bert Coles. Does that mean that all Berts are short for Bertram? Is it Bertram Reynolds? I sincerely mm -hmm. hope they are. Bert Bertson Reynolds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he changed it obviously. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have um, Coles not hot on Bartlett. <laughs> <laughs> I called him a USA hole. <laughs> I I only have one more. Okay. Secret nervous. Congressional jab puts detail on high alert. <laughs> For the Toby thing. Nice. And I think the last one I have is um Secret Service hot on coals. <laughs> I think along that theme I have I have raked over the coals. Oh good. I had one that was like upon the White House reacting and sort of admonishing him, it would be White House polls scold coals. Oh. <laughs> and then I have, I think my personal favorite, mm -hmm. Bert and Tyranny. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. Anymore? I just, I called it a party foul. That's oh, pretty good. That's good. And... You know, maybe it's like a bold lead, I might say, Patriot Games, because that was a book and a movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, <laughs> My real last one, though, is actually a Spanish language headline, and it's, Que es más macho, Bertrand Coles y Josiah Bartlett. This, this is for a, a South American <laughs> paper. <laughs> that was a good round. Um, that was good. Okay, uh, final thoughts? I would say best wing this was for so me. Best, yeah, best wing. Best. Yeah. yeah. This is pretty best wing. Yeah. Anybody want, <laughs> want to elaborate on that? 
um yeah this one was just like it had three or four really good scenes yeah. um i'm starting to see a pattern of the more people yell at each other the more i like <laughs> <laughs> which uh i is not usually uh what i thought i took away from this but in the first few episodes all the best scenes were the kind of high stakes ones this episode has like a ton of tension in it which i think we were saying was lacking from the last episode and it's really nice to see that it kind of really doesn't let up for very long when there is tension it's like the next moment there's something cute or nice and then it's tension again which it, i like it almost feels like this like could have aired as a two-parter yeah yeah i, can see I that. mean it obviously has like a cliffhanger but like in that i'd like to watch like more of this episode because <laughs> it's so good but even though with the last one so like if they would have shown them both at once the last one all the complaints we had about the last one wouldn't have had much validity because they all pay off in this one true but it would have felt i think still very like fluffy and light and weird in the beginning and then like packed full with tension and interesting things and oh i forgot about all the weirdness in the last one yeah Yeah, i don't know i don't know if you can really do much to help recover from that episode um i i also think this is a a good episode because it kind of proves that you don't have to have the best scenes in the show be with the president. I think the scenes with the president are nowhere near the most entertaining or poignant or moving scenes, which is nice. Did you have a, 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 a call out for the most moving one? Charlie. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't really. <laughs> Obviously yeah. every single scene with Charlie, but mostly the last like one. They are milking Charlie. It's working. I'm so easily manipulated when they have a new friend of the president. It's kind of nice, like a a change to see all the characters who are normally super harmonious together not getting along, which feels more realistic. And um, it's always like a battle of wits, which I love. Yeah, this is kind of the first one where CJ has a story. Yeah, really. She was just kind of in the background for the first few. She's a character, but she never. I think this is her first plot line. Yeah, can we say CJ is the alpha of this episode? Oh, absolutely, definitely. And I well, would, <laughs> and Leo. Well, I would say Leo is more of like a supporting actor in this one, supporting alpha, because he his alpha ness is way more subtle until the very end. Yeah, he does say he's going to raise an army against yeah. the president. Yeah. yeah, he kind of like alphas by staying calm when everyone's yeah. panicking. He's like diet alpha. It's longer takes um more intricate camera work uh they start to define the visual style of the show a little more even though it's kind of the goofy lighting thing but that's definitely something they stick with for the entire series and i think that was the most it was ever on display was in this episode do you think the lighting thing is like so you can't really see that much what's going on in the background and it just like wait so they need less articulated hustle and bustle in the background and it could be more just people moving and talking i think it's literally just looks cool yeah i i don't think they think much more about it than that (laughs) i it was the darkest episode yet yeah and that was like a little bit on just like the thematic thing they were just i think they were very much trying to like pair up like it's rainy and it's dark inside and the president is like feeling sad actually is a i think a pattern that the weather reflects the president's mood oh we should keep track of that yeah um maybe he's some kind of sorcerer (laughs) it's nice to have like plot lines that we actually can follow and care about that um you see to fruition in some way there was actually an argument in this one like the proper the proper use of force 
Oh, you know, there's yes. like a political mm-hmm. policy argument where the yeah. last one was extremely vague. Mm-hmm. I think that carried like three or four of the scenes was just the arguing over that. There was nothing tangible to care about in the last episode, whereas this one, there's actual things that you can define and talk about that happened and you care about them. I think that going from the first episode, which is like awesome, to the second episode, which is eh, and then this one, it's like you're just kind of happy the show got its legs back based on knowing what to expect. I'm like happy that it is the West Wing I know and love. Yeah, I was worried that in the course of watching it, I was going to just like have a run where like, I don't like any of these episodes. Right? I was wondering that too. And a lot of like the sexism stuff as well. I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to go back and watch this show from this sort of analytical perspective and like hate it because of all these problems I find with it. But this one I liked. So... Yeah, it had its moments like that in this one, but they were always at least countered by a character in yeah. the show. It was like... Mostly CJ. Yes. And, it, you know, it's just nice that someone like stood up for themselves. Yeah.